My name is John Edwards, and you have stumbled across the Dad's Drinking Bourbon podcast. Wherever you are, whatever day it is, whatever time you're listening, thanks for making us a part of your day. With me, as always, is Zeke Baker. Say hello to the folks, Zeke. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you all for joining, and uh, we look forward to hopefully presenting some good material. We are joined on the phone by Elsie May from Clyde Mays, and I can't even pronounce the name of their distillery, even though Elsie just told it to us, and he'll say it again, but it's not often that we have somebody on the phone to talk to us, so thank you very much, Elsie, for, for coming on and, and talking to us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's uh, It's a pleasure to be on and talking to you guys it's always great to be able to talk a little whiskey and bourbon and thanks for having me once we found out that clyde mays was alabama whiskey we zeke almost didn't let you on after that championship game from a couple (laughs) weeks ago honestly georgia had it in the bag man i I don't know what's in the water in georgia between the bulldogs and the falcons you know kind (laughs) of right there close to each other you know i don't know what's in the water there but whatever it is you guys need to get it out and fix it because uh I, i know they give the credit to Tua for coming in the game, and he deserves the credit. But you know, Georgia probably could have put that one away if we're being honest here, man. You know, I'm just a man of honesty. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. And you know, either way, it's uh, it's good for guys in your industry because I promise you, a whole lot more gets put down after games like that. To Zeke's point, it's good for you because people are buying whiskey uh, to to enjoy the game. They're buying whiskey. When they're down, they're buying whiskey to celebrate. So it brings it all back to Clyde Mays. There's a lot of popularity, a lot of momentum going with your brand. But before we even get to that, it all started with your grandfather, right? Yes, sir, it did. He was a simple southern man in South Alabama outside of a small town called Union Springs, Alabama, which is southeast of the capital of Montgomery. Started making moonshine in 1946 as a means to provide a better life for his family he was never just a moonshiner that's something a lot of people get confused they think he was a moonshiner at night and he went home and slept all day i mean this guy was just a relentless worker and everything that he did not just moonshining he was a farmer and he did several other you know logging and other things throughout his life but he would get up five six o'clock in the morning and work all day and then go and make his runs of moonshine and then come back home and wake up and do it all over again so it was more obviously it was about providing a better life for his growing family of eight kids and his wife and not only that but other family members aunts uncles whatever the case may be and then when there was people in the community that needed a little help you know he always had you know or maybe not even always where it was right there available but he did what he could to help others and uh, moonshine, even though it's illegal and it's supposed to be frowned upon, he actually used it to his advantage to help not only his family but other people in the community. So that's why where I am and the community's called Almeria, we live on County Road 12. It's known as Rabbit Road. Down here in this community, people don't remember him as a moonshiner. They remember who he was as a community leader. But obviously, at the end of the day, his legacy nationwide and with this brand is going to be what he did as a moonshiner. And rightfully, so because he stood out from the rest almost like the robin hood of alcohol uh, yeah i guess you could put it like that to a certain degree i mean obviously you know i don't want to make him seem like he was a uh, you know angel or anything because he was making moonshine and you know you have to do what you got to do but at the end of the day he was making a very pure and clean product and he was obviously selling large amounts of it due to his popularity and how great it was and he took advantage of it but really what it boils down to is when you're a moonshiner obviously when you do anything illegal for that matter but especially with moonshining you're worried about getting caught you know you just want to make your product sell it get your money and not worry about it but it was more than just money to him every batch that he made his reputation was attached to it so if he told someone you're getting my best product he wanted to make sure that was true and there were literally times where he would get done making it and he would taste what he had made and if it didn't meet his standards he would pour it out before he sold it and that's just because to him his reputation was attached to every single bottle or gallon or jar that he sold so it was more than just whiskey making that was just kind of his mentality i mean it wasn't not just with moonshine but anything that he did if he was 
building a fence or raking leaves in the yard. It didn't matter everything that, that he did. He put everything that he had into it because that's just the mentality he had. Branding, so to speak, and reputation in a, a small town, that, that, that's all you've got. I, I, I can speak to that just growing up in a, a similar situation for sure. Well, and, and one thing I was going to ask is you know, when you're looking at Moonshine opposed to what you guys now have with Clyde Mays, if you have a batch that you put together and there's a bad barrel in the batch, you could either remove the barrel or you know the blending of multiple barrels together can kind of fix that unless it's a single barrel product. But when you have something like Moonshine and you're not making your production as nothing like a traditional distillery would be, one bad batch really is going to not only kill your wallet, but could kill your reputation because there's not that much out there to supplement it right could kill a person <laughs> yeah it could kill a person too <laughs> oh yeah i mean obviously in that regard a bad batch is you know something you want to stay away from but with what his was was literally quality it was still a you know his bad runs were still better than most of his competitors in his area i mean he just went the extra mile you know when you when you have a moonshine still set up in the woods, you know, it's not like, okay, yeah, it's already in the woods under these trees. You're not going to sit there and take a dish towel and clean the whole thing and make it look shiny and perfect, but he did. There's just numerous stories I've heard and have been told about how he was almost like a, for lack of a better word, a nit about being everything had to be clean, everything had to be perfect before he would start any run. And those differences, certainly you can tell when you have several moonshiners that, and all of them do the same thing. And then you have this one that's doing something different. You're going to taste the difference. And that's what he did. I just feel like he cared more than others. And that's not to say that others didn't care about their product, but they certainly were more worried about putting money in their wallet than they were about what they were putting in people's mouths and he was worried about everything he wanted to make sure that someone didn't drink his whiskey and say oh this isn't good or whatever he wanted them to drink it and say wow this is the best i've ever had at all so unfortunately i never got the opportunity to meet and know him he died in 1990 i was born in 95 and that's kind of part of my mission is to learn and grow about this grandfather i never got to know and i can't his name and I want to make sure his legacy with everything that we do is carried on the right way and it has been. My father carried on his tradition of uh, illegal moonshine making for a while. and You bring up a good point that this is illegal. Um, your grandfather did have to serve some time because of his illegal moonshining, right? He did in the early 1970s so he had been making it for you know almost 30 years at that point. Uh, it was the early 70s, and, you know, it's, it's kind of a long story of how it all went down and everything, but long story short, there was some on his property behind the house, and from what I understand, he was literally in bed asleep, and they kind of came in there at about 1 o'clock in the morning and grabbed him and arrested him, and he had his trial, and, you know, he pled his innocence, but they found him guilty, and... He was uh, sentenced to 18 months in a federal prison, Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery, but he only served eight months. He got out for good behavior, which was very common as long as you didn't do anything bad. Most people knew whatever they got sentenced, they would usually get out before then, but he served eight months in a prison, and he didn't go home, and he didn't have a moonshine still waiting on him when he got home. He of course went and kissed his wife and kids and enjoyed the taste of freedom for a few minutes but then not long after that he said it's time to get back to work and he went right back to it <laughs> yeah i'm sure uh based on what you described and like where i grew up the uh somebody in that small town just uh got rubbed the wrong way for whatever reason and decided they wanted to show they uh you know had a bigger pair of underwear or something than somebody else oh absolutely you know it's um Something that I've talked about several times with family members, you know, my dad, uncles, people who were there and made moonshine, you know, uh, they'll tell you that you didn't have to worry about federal agents or the law. You had to worry about rats or people that would <laughs> turn you in. I mean, that was, for the most part, you know, moonshiners and federal agents, to a certain degree, had a respect for each other. The moonshiners understood that when they walked to their still and their still was destroyed that 
those agents had a job to do. But then those agents, for the most part, usually understood that they weren't harming nobody. For the, I mean, depending on, you know, there's, there's a, a story for everything, I guess. But they also understood, you know, they're just trying to provide a better life for their family. So they almost had a mutual respect for each other. That's why a lot of times they wouldn't set up a sting operation in the woods or something waiting for a guy to come out if they got a reporter of a still or they found a still. They would just destroy it and then that moonshiner would be out however many dollars was put into it and then they would just move on but you know when it came to competition and jealousy to a certain degree there was a lot of that a lot of ratting each other out you know and even to the degree where one moonshiner gets caught and they say hey we don't really care about you we'd rather have this moonshiner where's his still at and they're like oh it's here let me go and they get let go and Moonshiners will tell you you have to worry about people ratting you out more so than you got to worry about uh, the actual law enforcement. I will say, and I'm sure this would be, you know, from strictly a historical perspective and, and be disassembled and whatnot, but was the uh, the, the last steal he ran uh, preserved by the family? For most of his steals, you know, in fact, I can say any steal, you know, if he was able to keep the same still it was there but it's hard to estimate just how many stills he had that were destroyed i mean there are estimates like my dad can speak to hey from the time i helped him starting in 1970 whatever until he died he had this many stills destroyed but you know he didn't really have any grown sons when he started in 1946 so a rough estimate is he had dozens of stills destroyed and you had to just start over and start from scratch but Unfortunately, in regards to his last deal, you know, it was found and destroyed. You know, the reason I say that is because when he died or whatever, I don't think the thought process was let's save his last deal because it's illegal just to possess one to begin with. And yeah, yeah. certainly when you have the last name May, they don't <laughs> care. You know, they're look. So I think probably what happened is that still kept being used either by a family member or somebody else to a certain degree however some of the may family stills that were used during the time and a little bit after that my grandfather died were not saved by the family but actually the county we live in is bullock county uh, alabama and a couple years ago they decided they were going to put some historical artifacts in a museum here in bullock county and they said well you know, you can't have a Bullet County Museum and not say something about moonshining. And so what they did is they pretty much said, hey, can we keep one of the stills that you guys compensate from a moonshine still bust? And they were like, yeah, sure. One of the stills that made it into the museum was a May family still and kind of a little precursor. Uh, but we uh, actually now, Clyde May's Whiskey, through a little talking, we now have that still and it's going to be something we display in our brand new distillery we'll definitely cut back to the new distillery in a second i kind of want to jump in just because while we're on this of, of the original lineage alabama style that, that's definitely big on everything that anyone's going to see clyde mays do you know when that came into play in the shine was it always there at some point did it develop um i guess for any of these barreled sorry just not to throw a kitchen sink of questions at you but just really wanted to see uh, you know how far back that part of the lineage goes and, and what spurred it honestly mostly what my grandfather sold is you know just white lightning moonshine however sometime in the first few years of him making moonshine he decided to actually start aging some of his products and because he was doing it illegally he didn't have the luxury to set up 10 barrels or 20 barrels you know he did it one barrel at a time and he would age it and somewhere along the line he decided that he needed something to help finish it and make it even smoother when it came out of the barrel and that's not to say that it wasn't a solid product prior him trying to discover a way to make his whiskey smoother he discovered that taking apple slices and putting them in the oven until they were a golden brown, so the oven dried apple slices, and adding them to the barrel at the very end of the aging process, not only it helped with overall look, color, but more importantly, what he was after was the smoothness of the product. And he discovered by adding that touch of apple, just that handful of apple there at the very end of the aging process, helped with the finish and helped make it smoother 
and that's what Alabama style whiskey is. So obviously, when my grandfather was doing it in his day, he wasn't adding apples to a barrel and then pouring it out and saying, "Oh, this is Alabama style whiskey." You know, that was something when this brand got its start in 2001. You know, that's kind of the term that it was coined because there was nothing else like it and it was something that was an Alabama recipe so the term Alabama style was created from that but what Alabama style is is what we do is obviously we have the luxury of aging it longer than he had the luxury to age it for but we age our product and it's actually believe it or not it's all of our product is a bourbon follows all bourbon laws however once we add that uh, touch of apple at the very end of the aging process, it then becomes a whiskey by law. But we do that to our product, and that's what Alabama-style whiskey is. I know John and I both had, were, were unsure of that and then wanted to know, and I, I think anyone out there will as well. Uh, certainly appreciate that and definitely can relate to the um, you know the finishing on the, the shine. I, I can remember a, uh, a mason jar or two that somebody handed me and said, Apple Jacks. Yeah, you know, that was something that what we – in this area, what you know, I've heard it called several things: apple jack. And, you know, one of the things we normally it was called down here is apple pie moonshine or something like that. But normally, what apple pie moonshine is is they just take, like you said, they put it in a jar and just throw some apple and cinnamon or something in there. But you know, that may have been a little bit part of the inspiration behind it. But one of the things that we like to tell people, and it's certainly true, is this is not a flavored whiskey this is a whiskey with flavor and that's what he was doing he wasn't promoting this as hey come try my apple pie aged uh, moonshine whiskey he was promoting it as try this moonshine my quality moonshine whiskey that i took the time to age in a barrel for a certain amount of time and i added my own little touch to it to make it smoother that's you know what he was doing and it certainly was something that took off and was popular and he was able to do it one barrel at a time and small batches and after he died about 11 years later in 2001 my uncle Kenny May wanted to carry on that legacy and carry on what he worked so hard to do what my grandfather worked so hard to do and he started Clyde May's whiskey or at the time it was actually known as Clyde May's Ridge whiskey and it's still the same brand we've just kind of what you were saying at the beginning of the show uh hard to pronounce is pronounced Kaneka, but one of the reasons we made the switch is because a lot of people had a tough time pronouncing that they would say <laughs> konica or konka or whatever it is and uh and also to kenny may my uncle started this as part of my grandfather's legacy so certainly it was it was more important for us to highlight the fact that this was Clyde May's whiskey. However, we still the name of our distillery will be Conecuh Ridge Distillery, home of Clyde May's whiskey. What Conecuh Ridge is is my grandfather was what he was getting his water from his the spring water that formed the creeks on our property. All these creeks eventually meet and flow into a river called the Conecuh River. So all of these, you know, this area where he was making his whiskey, where all these creeks are. It was known as the Kaneka Ridge because they come together and flow into the Kaneka River. So that's where that name comes from. You made that segue for us. You did all the heavy lifting talking about your uncle in 2001 getting the brand up and running. Tell us a little bit about what you started doing after the, the brand got up in 2001. We are going to spend some time talking about where you're going in the future, but you know, you, you do have this 85 proof Alabama whiskey that we will talk about. Zeke and I have been drinking it while we've been talking to you. There's a 92 proof bourbon that you guys have released. There is a cast strength out there. I believe it's 110 proof. I could be wrong on that. The cask strength is 117 proof. However, we did, we also have a special reserve that's 110 proof. That's what so. it was. Sorry. Um, I know I've had it. That's why I, I, I remember seeing one that was 110. Let's talk about those for a little bit, what you guys have been doing since the brand is up and running, and then we'll talk about the future. Kind of the life of this brand has been the original 85-proof whiskey for most of our, you know, since this brand's been up, that's all we had. We had the 85-proof Alabama-style whiskey, we did not have any other bottles to add to that. That's what we had. And for a long time, we were a small brand. And 
like I said, my uncle started it in 2001. And he actually, believe it or not, uh, in 2004, through his point of arguing, you know, he kind of made the point and argument like, hey, my dad, Claude May, he's, what he stood for kind of represents what many blue-collar, hard-working Alabama, Alabamians represent. And they listened and they understood. So state legislation in 2004 made Clyde May's whiskey the official state spirit of Alabama. Alabama is the only state in the United States with an official state spirit. And what was ironic about that is they just made it legal to distill spirits in Alabama in 2013. So (laughs) if Kenny May, my uncle, had it his way, he wanted very much to start out making this whiskey in Alabama, but he literally couldn't. It was illegal. So... You know, and in 2004, for a while, you know, the brand was up and coming and it was growing. And then it, you know, it was never able to really just take off. And it it stayed around, but it couldn't, you know, it didn't expand much. If anything, it went down for a while. But then in 2013, we really got the guys on board that have helped this brand grow. And um, which obviously I'm biased. I know these guys and everything, but the team we have at Clyde Mays, we have an all-star group, and without them, you know, as great as this whiskey is and the quality of it, I mean, we're we're nothing without the hardworking men and women and on our team that have worked tirelessly because they believe in this and just like as passionately as I do about it to help it grow, but. 2013 is what I kind of personally consider the rebirth year of Clyde May's whiskey. That's when it really took off, started expanding. Well, and not to cut you off here for a second, because we will get to what's kind of going on, but I I think as far as the origins go, a lot of people talk about sourcing for a craft distillery getting off their, you know, getting on their feet. They might source until their own distillate comes of age. They might source just because they find a better pricing model that way. I mean, you guys started off sourcing because it was illegal for you to even distill in the state. Absolutely. You know, that was one of the things before we even laid that, before there was a bottle on the shelf, Kenny Mae, you know, obviously I'm not going to say he, you know, he didn't protest in the streets or anything, but he wanted very badly to make it in Alabama because that's what this is all about. You know, this is an Alabama recipe. This is all about Alabama. But, you know, we just, uh, we literally couldn't. I don't want to speak too much to the thought process or ideas, but certainly I believe that there probably could have been a distillery built in Alabama right away on our end, but we didn't want to do that because... It wouldn't have been what it's about to be. You know, patience is virtue. That's what my grandfather was all about. And he was a firm believer if uh, if you're not going to do something right, do not do it at all. And I believe that's the thought process we had is let's play our cards right and let's rate, wait for the right opportunity to have something truly special that the state of Alabama can be proud of and that what we can be proud of and what Clyde Bay would have been proud of. And part of that kind of to go back to your last question is and right, you know, around 2013, you know, about a year later, we introduced uh, the Special Reserve. So we introduced that, which is what it is. It's a higher proof and older version of the uh, 85 proof. So our 85 proof is four to five years old, and it's our youngest uh, product of the four we have. And then the um, special reserve is six to seven years old and it's a higher proof and we introduced that so then we had two and they were both Alabama style whiskeys but then last year we decided to release a bourbon which people were like oh we you know you do Alabama style whiskey what's up with the bourbon and I think more so than anything it was time for us to prove that like I said earlier we're making a bourbon with a hint of apple and it becomes a whiskey but I think we, we needed to prove that we're making a great bourbon, but we also did that by, you know, still honoring my grandfather's legacy and doing things to that bourbon. You know, the non-chill filter, 92-proof, five-year-old product, you know, we took extra care and time to really think and do this product, which is what my grandfather did. He put a lot of quality and time into everything that he made, and then 
around the same time we released our cask strength. First, it was an eight-year-old. Last year, it was an eight-year-old, and this year, it was a nine-year-old. But they were both cask strength uh, 117 proof. There's new expressions coming. I don't know all the details, and I don't want to give away too much, but I will say here very soon, Clyde Mays will be introducing a rye whiskey. And so we're very excited about that, and it's something that's on the horizon. You know, it's not something that's going to happen next week, but it's it's coming, and we're excited about it. And all these things together have help, help, uh, helped us grow, certainly, and it's what has allowed us to be able to announce this new distillery that we're building in Troy, Alabama. We've done plenty of, of rye topics lately, and it, it seems to be trending very heavily in the whiskey, bourbon, whatever space, however you want to define it, but it's definitely very prevalent now, and, and people really seem to be getting behind it. Uh, one thing I will try to circle back on, just for anyone that's uh, trying to compare the different current offerings, so is everything the same mash, or does it vary? Uh, uh, it, it, the, all of our expressions uh, across the board are the same mash bill. We use 78% corn, 12% rye, and 10% malted barley. But there's, and you can taste the difference in each one in regards to what they offer. Obviously, the original recipe is our Alabama style. It has that hint of apple, and it's an 85 proof, and it's a four to five year old product. And then we have our five year old straight bourbon that does not have that hint of apple and it's a non-chill filtered 92 proof and then we have the Alabama style 110 proof special reserve that's six to seven years old and then we have I'll go ahead and just because it's you know current right now our nine-year-old cask strength which is 117 proof and uh, like I said same Nashville across the board but they're all different in regards to proof, age, how, like I said, the bourbon's non-chill filtered. So there's differences in each one that make them all unique, and they kind of carry their own weight in different regards. But we do have the same mash bill across the board. No, perfect, perfect. That's just something I wanted to clarify, especially for folks that uh, you know are, are sourcing currently with age statements and various things. Sometimes it can be two totally different products. So just want everybody uh, you know that may be tuning in to, to make sure they, they had the ability to wrap their heads around that. Well, and let's talk about them here for a second before we get into talking about where you guys are going moving forward and the distillery that you hope to break ground on this year, which I think is pretty exciting news. I've been sitting here drinking both of these, the, the 92 proof bourbon and the 85 proof Alabama whiskey, and that Alabama whiskey will sneak up on you because it is smooth as heck. You know, obviously it's not going to be as higher proof, so you don't expect it to have a, a big burn. I get a, a tinge of a, a little bit of heat, so I know it's there on the very back of the finish. It's very, very smooth, very light and refreshing. Uh, Zeke, what, what are you getting on this one? And then we'll let LC say what he gets when he gets to drink it. Um, but I, I think it's pretty enjoyable. Uh, I would definitely say the same regarding the Alabama style whiskey. Uh, the biggest question I have in my notes is: Is this better in the winter time or the summertime? Because I I, I get a, a prickle on it uh, there, you know, front mid palate, but between the nose and towards the back end of the finish, obviously there's a, a heavy apple taste. Uh, I guess Washington, whatever the, 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 the dark red apples are. Sorry, uh, I'm not the apple enthusiast I should be, but uh, that, that's really what I smell in the front and where I am on the back end. Like you said, a little bit of kick up in the middle. And, and to me, I, uh, that's what I was debating was I really enjoy this more in the wintertime when it's kind of cool or on a hot summer day. 85 proof. It's refreshing. I could just probably wipe out a whole one and Sleep in the rocking chair. I could imagine you. So, Elsie, one thing that we should tell you about Zeke, and, and it's not so secret anymore, he, he typically has a side pour. Uh, so whatever we're drinking on the show, he he likes to have a little bit of a side pour. And I could see him putting this in a side pour while we're uh, recording a podcast. 
I get that question a lot, actually. You know, is it a summer drink? Is it a winter drink? And honestly, you know, being that I'm still new at the ambassador game, I know the product and I know my bourbons and everything, but I'm still kind of a believer that every man and every woman is different and they have different palates and different uh, tastes. And I think it's just kind of a user's choice. You know, it's what you think and how you like to drink it. But it's, uh, I think that's one of the best things about the 85 proof um, whiskey is that it's, it's soft, it's delicate, it's approachable, you know, it has those softer notes, like you were talking about that hint of apple with a couple of other flavors, you know, I get, you know, I actually get some notes of caramel and things like that, some of those, some of the softer sides of it, which I think that comes from the char four we use in our barrels, but it's something that's, it's mixable, but it's also something great to drink neater on the rocks, and it's something that anyone can enjoy you know it has just just enough of a heat to where people who prefer you know there's people out there that like their burn and everything and it has just enough of that to where they can enjoy it but it also has that side that your um newer drinkers or millennials like myself can drink but so i think it's an all-around great whiskey and and i definitely would agree with that lc um multiple thoughts here and I'll, i'll try and keep them in order First and foremost, uh, earlier today I was at a local spot, friends that you know we all share pours. There was a an, an older label. I don't know how old. I didn't look for any kind of laser codes or you know if you have those things. But at any rate, it was an older label for sure. Uh, still had Conecuh Ridge real big on it. I definitely will say that this tastes nothing like that, and it's completely in your guys' favor. I don't know if it could possibly be so old where there was a different source or or air got to it o- or- over time the the you know the process has become more efficient consistent etc but I definitely would throw that out there to anyone that you know tried this some time ago it wasn't necessarily their jam what what's in this bottle and what's in this glass right now is tea totally different and I guess my second segue you know as you mentioned uh, there's plenty of millennials that are uh, you know moving toward the bourbon whiskey whatever you want to call it space and and also uh, on the flip side plenty of guys like john and i that have significant others that may or may not really appreciate or enjoy a bourbon or a whiskey but i think at the proof and and the flavor profile of this this is definitely something that you can say hey try this so so you don't like these other things that you know i say i, I, I my breath reeks of or you don't like the nose of this is just extremely enjoyable on, on probably any aspect. We're not saying this because you're on the phone with us. We're pretty transparent. We're pretty honest to a fault. One of the things that I think we're finding, at least with you guys, is there is a wide brand variety. There's the cast strength at 117 for the people that that's their thing. There's the 85 proof with the, the hit of apple for the people that like something lighter and then there's that bourbon and the special reserve in between. So you are hitting multiple aspects of the market just with four offerings. And that's that's pretty crazy when you think about it. Not everybody's hitting everything with with four different variations of the same stuff. No, not at all. And, and sorry not to cut you off, Elsie. I'm sure you had something to, to, to toss at us. But although we don't have those higher proof ones here, the fact that they're Alabama style, I, I could easily see... Either one of those, and, and I'm clearly not smart enough or have the abilities to do it, but I imagine that novelty of the apple and, and then that going into cocktails and or, like I say, people way smarter than me that do that kind of thing for a living, they could probably create something that that apple's going to add a, a kick that nothing else is going to offer and, and make a very unique cocktail from it. Oh, absolutely. It's very capable of being so creative and just multiple types of cocktails and it's really a great product all around in that regard that it's able to you know appeal to so many different demographics and also it's something you can drink straight i mean even which i know you guys don't have it on hand or anything and i'll certainly make sure you guys uh try some but even like our 110 proof and 100 our higher proof whiskeys 
you taste them and you're like, wow, this this isn't drinking like 110. It's it's much smoother than that. You know, it's it's obviously it, it's got the burn to it. You know, because it's a higher proof. But at the same time, if you compare it to other higher proof whiskeys, you can really taste the difference and how smooth it truly is. So I think that also that you know we're able to establish a product that has that higher proof to appeal to people who love their, you know, that little bit of burn and that higher proof, but it's also very, very smooth. In fact, I, I normally tell people it's dangerously smooth. Like, you know, be careful when you're drinking it because it's, so, you know, it doesn't drink like a 110. It drinks like a lower proof, but it's actually a 110 proof. But it's almost like a Swiss Army knife. You can use it for multiple cocktails and, you know, just to drink it neater on the rocks. <laughs> I think he just found a new marketing idea right there. Certainly, yeah. I don't, I don't know if that was in your, your notes ahead of time, but if not, uh, send that up to the, the, the corporate folks tomorrow. They're, they're going to love you for it. Um. I, I'm full of nice little southern little, you know, um, you know, my vocabulary doesn't go very deep. I, fortunately, I was able to go to the University of Alabama and they taught me how to uh, not speak rabbit road anymore but uh, I have little things like that just poking around in my head they don't you know they just kind of come out when they come out <laughs> and, and granted I will say too since you mentioned the, the special reserve the, that 110 proof and to anyone listening I, I promise this wasn't teed up uh, I did pick up a bottle of that probably a few months ago it was a, a Tennessee distributors pick from what I understand, just looking at the, the store pick label, et cetera, and I've seen it in a couple of stores here in town, I honestly thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I will say when, when I shared it with friends, it, it, it was hit or miss, but I think some of that's just, just the connotation of they had a bourbon in their mind going into it as you know, we were all going to sit around and share bottles of bourbon. I thoroughly enjoyed it, thought it was a really good bottle, uh, and it didn't last too long. Um, I see that as well. You know, it's there's there's people out there that they don't want to drink it if it doesn't have the word bourbon on it you know and that's just and that's fine you know i don't have a problem with that but i, I promise you this i know it's kind of weird to hear a hint of apple added to bourbon and added to bourbon and it's a what you know what what's this all about i i think once you give this product a try for those who have never had it just take my word for it that my grandfather uh, even though he was a simple southern man in a town you probably never heard of he could hang his hat with the rest of them and he could make just as fine of a whiskey as anyone and i know i'm um, Clearly, uh, I'm biased. You can ask people who are not biased, and you can ask anyone that knew Clyde May and had his whiskey. It's uh, that hint of apple true. It's unique, but it's something that if you just give it a try, and I don't think you'll regret it. No, totally agree. And, and I've even seen um, some home blends people have done that all end up, you know, in a hodgepodge of a uh, you know potluck, so to speak. And if you tell anybody what it is ahead of time, they're going to let you look at you like you're crazy. And then you say, all right, we'll taste it. And then all they say is, where can I get it? I've worked shows and I've worked tasting events and I've done a little bit of everything. And uh, as the brand ambassador for this company all over the United States, and there's people who are very open to the idea of, you know, you tell them, yeah, it's got a hint of apple. You tell them the story and it's like, really? You know, they're, they're open to it. And then there's some people who before... They have the glass in their hand, and the whiskey's there, and they're like, really, a hint of apple? I don't know about that. And then they taste it, and nine times out of ten, they see that, you know, for some reason, even when you tell them it's a hint of apple added at the end of the aging process, for some reason, they still got in their mind, oh, I'm about to drink, you know, some apple juice or something like that. But it's not at all, a, you know, a flavored whiskey. It's just that very, it's that hint of apple that's added just to, you know make it more flavorful and i think once people you know get past that little barrier in their mind that it's not an apple cider or anything like that once they taste it they say oh i see what you're saying now this is actually really good thank you for talking me into it and they end up coming back for more so yeah totally on board with you there i mean i I almost think it would be fun to just have a bottle, no label, not make any proclamations, misnomers, whatever about it, and just say, hey, taste this. Tell me what you think. Well, that's kind of what we do. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You have to get past those mental barriers, man, but for the most part, it's, uh, you know, 
kind of what he was saying about the hit and miss. I, you know, it's I have seen that myself. You know, people know who that I'm the grandson of Clyde May, and they still and I don't and I want them to be honest with me, but you know, they sure like they're you know they're skeptical, but then they try it and they don't regret it. Well, and and let's talk about that for a second because you know, you guys are the state spirit of Alabama. You you are going around to the country and, and showing this to people at tastings and events, and that's what a brand ambassador does. Do you see stronger sales in Alabama, or is it something that's really catching on in other places? I mean, I know we have it in Tennessee, but where is the the heart of your business really coming, and where where do you see it going? Home is where the heart is, and our <laughs> heart is in Alabama. And Alabama has been and it will always be a nice, strong bulk of our business and will always be in that, certainly in the top 10 for sure in regards to sales and everything because it is the official state spirit. But we have done very well outside of Alabama to kind of answer your question because I know your answers shouldn't be just Alabama and it's not. You know, we do very well in Texas and we do very well in Florida and we do very well in New York. I mean, there's several, and we're just constantly growing. You know, there's, you know, I'm not going to sit here and list every single state, but there's states too that just last year we were selling, uh, we got introduced, we were trying to get people to try it, get it into accounts, and once they did, once people had it, according to Nielsen data, which, you know, it's on, that's, you know, it's an unbiased report uh, they've sent it to anyone who wants to get their hands on it you know in regards in the spirits industry they put in and get it and uh, our numbers show that Clyde May's whiskey in regards to growth is the fastest growing American whiskey in the United States right now I love this brand and I love my grandfather and I'm gonna talk all the great things that are going on but you know kind of like the old sports phrase, numbers don't lie, and numbers are not lying here, it's showing that we're doing very well, and people love the brand, and they're starting, and starting to become their, either their everyday whiskey, or something, they they see it in a bar, and they're like, oh, I want to have me some fly babies, uh, I want to see this brand keep growing and growing, and I'm not going to, and honestly, I don't think I'll ever stop, I think, no matter how big it gets, however long it takes, um here and ready i'm in i'm in here for the long call and i'm ready to see this really take off so i'm grateful for the success we've had but there's still plenty of room to grow and i think we certainly will grow and i'm sure uh it's not gonna be the first time you you've heard this being a fellow uh rural southern boys i like to say but you know the proof's in the pudding yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know it's like like i was saying going to places like new york and stuff you know a lot of people want to meet me just so they can hear some, hear me talk. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm with you. And I'm not. That's not a. I mean, uh, our New York State manager can attest to that. Uh, we in November of 2016, I was still in school, but uh, Whiskey Fest uh, was going on in New York at the Marriott Marquis on Times Square. They called me and was like, "Is there any way you can?" fly up to New York for uh, one night and then fly home the next day and fortunately my class schedule allowed it to where I could actually go to my last class, leave, go to the airport, fly to New York and be back next morning for my afternoon class. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. And uh, they didn't know this at the time. Uh, I didn't want to tell them because I didn't want them to think I was, you know, crazy, but I had never flown before. I'd never... (laughs) I'd never been on an airplane. I mean, I'd been on an airplane. My grandfather uh, has his pilot's license and flies small engine planes, and I had flown in that regard, but I'd never flown commercial anywhere. So I flew. So That's a heck of an introduction. Not only are you going up to New York, but you haven't flown before. Yeah, so, and I, I was nervous, and I, and it's not like I was flying out of a nice big airport like Atlanta. I drove to Birmingham. And I had a connection in Charlotte, and my flight got delayed, and I missed my connection, and I had to get a new flight, and uh, it was supposed to work out where I got to New York, got to my hotel. I was going to have time to, you know, change clothes, kind of mentally prepare, but because of the missed connection, I got there and had to run to my hotel, throw on my clothes, and 
run and met our New York State manager and we uh, walked upstairs and uh, he was, you know, he told the lady who was checking us in, he was like, yeah, this is LC Mead, he's all the way up from Alabama and she instantly just wanted me to talk to her and said, I had been up there, you know, 20 minutes and she wanted me to talk to her and then later our CEO, uh, he came and met and enjoyed the show with us and they know it, and it's no secret, but they kind of threw me in the lion's den to work Whiskey Fest. That's one of the biggest whiskey shows in the country, and it was my first time working any show, and I was already pretty worn out due to you know being nervous of missing my connection and everything. But it was a great show, great time, and we're walking down Times Square. I stayed in a hotel probably a block away. Our CEO Roy Danis is working with me, and we're and I'm obviously it's nighttime, it's Times Square, everything's around, and I'd only ever seen it on TV. Looking around, you know, my eyes are probably as big as ping pong balls, and he looks at me and goes, "Elsie, never been to New York before," and I said, uh, "Mr. Danis, uh, before today, I had never been on an airplane." <laughs> I mean, and he couldn't believe that's it. That's great, like, man. Honestly, like, that, that's just golden. It's real life. I still live two houses down from where my grandfather lived out in the middle of nowhere outside of Union Springs but now I'm a I'm I like to think that I'm a seasoned vet when it comes to flying now I've been all over the place and now it's nothing but it certainly was nerve-wracking for me and they didn't and I didn't want to tell them I was like I don't want them to think I'm a I guess to me at the time it seemed embarrassing for me to be like yeah it'll be my first time working a whiskey show and uh, being on an airplane Elsie, we've had you on. I don't want to cut off these stories because they're really, really good. But I do, I mean, you're younger than us, and, and we appreciate you staying up. The dads have to record after we put the kids to bed. The bourbon, I just want to touch on that real quick before we get into the distillery. But that bourbon does not taste like a 95 proofer. It almost tastes more like a bottled and bond to me, doesn't it, to you, Zeke? Surprisingly, yes. And uh, I really wanted to hear... Your thoughts on this first, probably a loaded question, simply because I I know what this reminds me of, at least in my mind. My thoughts are LC's thoughts. Granted, we're not doing blinds. I can't do it, but fortunately we have enough in this sample to where we we can revisit it at a later date, and and I certainly want to. For whatever reason in my mind, the experience I get from this seems very similar to what I pick up from a fresh open of EHT Small Batch pretty high praise good flavor it's prickly on the tongue and every ht i get that from as they open up they do change just like anything else obviously but uh surprisingly uh i'm not the best with notes i just like memories and and or similarities or what i can say it relates to i don't know i i look forward to blinding this at some point and and seeing how close it really is because that's what's really popping up in my mind and we'll leave it at we won't make LC comments on that, but I would say for me, there are similarities to other bottled and broad products that are out there, even though this is 95 and the bottled and broad is 100. I do get a little more warmth on this, as you would from an 85 to a 92, but it drinks a little bit higher than that 92 and the warmth I get. I definitely think the overall your moral of the story here at LC is you guys have more than proven that you are able to put out a bourbon that stands up to other stuff that's out there. I think that's really what we're getting at from these notes. And, you know, Zico has been to more of the sensory stuff, but I, I do get the caramel. I get a little bit of the vanilla, but I am getting subtle caramel, subtle vanilla, not too much of the spice on there it's still pretty smooth at 92 but i'm not getting too much of a tingle zeke i know you're getting more of a tingle but you and i have different palettes and we don't agree on much anyway exactly especially if we're talking uh, other brands and, and and what we know you like to drink some days yeah exactly <laughs> so lc uh hats off to you guys for that i i definitely think it is definitely proven that it is uh it is up there and, and something that i would go back to for talking about the price of these for a second they're not something that is going to kill you and break the bank i think when you get to the cast strengths those are a little bit pricier uh I, i've seen the cast strength up there for 90 in some places part of that is the uh, actually the uh the rarity of the cast strength so 
we only release a couple thousand bottles nationwide uh, for both the eight and the nine-year-old when we did them. In fact, uh, in the state of Alabama, I just know that just because this is my home state, but I know we got about 240 or so bottles maybe of uh, the nine-year-old cast strength, and we sold it on the same day as uh, the allocated sale, the day they sell the the Pappy, the George uh, George T. Stag, all the stuff that the people are after, and uh, we sold most of everything we had in literally, you know, just a couple of days. Like almost every bottle of nine-year-old castrine that we had in the state of Alabama was gone and very short. I mean, it was it was exciting, but at the same time, it was almost like, guys, uh, I didn't even get a bottle. Where's my bottle? You know. <laughs> Don't don't forget the most important man here now. Come on. Yeah, in the store I was in, they had about 20 bottles, I think. And in a matter of about an hour, all 20 of those bottles were gone. And then the kind of the crowd cools down and you look around. I didn't even get a bottle for myself. I was planning on grabbing the last bottle or something, but I didn't even get to do that. But I'm happy to, I get to, you know, taste it at various things and, drink it when i'm uh, able to but so i was happy that uh that's that's a good problem to have is the you know you, you turn your head for one something and then turn it back around and it's gone because somebody else wanted it that badly. so uh, I'm, i'll always be happy to pass on my bottle to a consumer that wants it because it's more important for me for them to get to experience the taste of it well, Elsie, I'm sure the consumers definitely appreciate that. For the other offerings, they're not going to kill the wallet. So when we're looking at whether or not you should go out and get these, I would definitely go out and get a bottle of these. Me. I think they're good for having in the cabinet. Might not go to that cast strength every day, but the, this 92 and the 85, I think they're good daily drinkers at decent prices. So I would definitely say I'm in the same boat. Both of these are, are really easy going down. And again, you know, if you've got other people you're trying to please that, that won't drink a straight bourbon, this profile is different, whether it be with ice neat or in a cocktail. There's there's versatility, which, I mean, that's, that's good in today's world. I mean, very rarely does two people in a room of two people agree on maybe half of what they taste. Let's editorialize this here for a second, because this is not Elsie's position. We are making sure that we're saying right now this isn't Elsie's position but if you think about someone who's new to bourbon that you and I, Zeke, would take in, we might give them a Basil Hayden's, or we might give them something like, we might give them something more in the 80 range to get them going. I'd rather give them something like this Clyde Mays than a Basil Hayden's, just because it's a little bit different. That 92 is, is a little bit different. It drinks nice. That 85 with the Alabama style, it has a little apple in. It's something that you can kind of you're not going to knock them over the head with bourbon and the sharpness of bourbon if some of them have it uh, but it's something that that could bring someone in that way and then you start to say well have you tried this have you tried this have you tried this yeah exactly and, and to, to someone that, that doesn't understand what you know the quote-unquote bourbon laws are etc and like i say you just have that bottle no label make make just no proclamations about it whatsoever just say hey take a pull off this and tell me if you like it or not i think the overwhelming majority is going to be light. Exactly. And we've talked about your juice for a while, Elsie. You, you got our stance on that. But let's talk about the distillery that you guys hope to break ground on this year and what you guys are doing moving forward. Because I think there's a, a lot of history. We talked about the history of your grandfather and the history of the brand. But I think there's a lot of history left to be written. And the one thing I will say before I let you start on this is I'm glad the May family finally realized that having one still in one spot was a lot better than having multiple stills that you had to put up every season when they got wrecked by the police or the federal agents. You guys decided that you might as well break ground and and have one that stays there for a while, right? Absolutely. You know, if anybody tries to destroy this one, they're going to have to actually deal with me this time. We're very excited about this the the brand everything about it and once we were able you know we this was a long process you know we gave you know multiple multiple cities in alabama the opportunity to give their pitch as to why this new distillery needed to come there and we listened and we debated and it was it was a very hard decision i mean because we 
more importantly, I mean, most of all, we want this distillery back in Alabama. It needs to come home. And at the end of the day, uh, the city that was able to get this distillery is Troy, Alabama, which is very close to where I live. I actually went to high school in Troy, Alabama. It's uh, about 15 minutes away from where my grandfather was originally making his whiskey. So really, when we say Clyde is coming home, we can actually not only mean it in the sense that it's coming home to Alabama, but it's coming. he's coming home. He truly is coming home. And this isn't going to be a, a micro distillery. You know, this, like I was saying, we're growing. We're growing up, uh, very fast. So this is going to be a property on about 80 acres of land, and it's going to have all the things you would expect to see when you visit a distillery on the Bourbon Trail. It's going to have the distillery bottling plant, you know, a tasting room, a, it is a restaurant, museum, gift shop, uh, and then plenty of other things for tourists to stop by and see how it's made and see everything about it. So we're just excited more so than anything that we're going to break ground and be able to distill, age, and bottle this whiskey back in Alabama. And it's something we've been wanting to do for a long time, but for a long time couldn't legally do. And now that we can, it's really going to put a staple on our brand and help us grow even more because now people will see that hey this is back in Alabama it's back home and with everything that's going on with with this distillery announcement and with it with us breaking ground soon that um, it's something that obviously we as a brand can be proud of but it's something that the state of Alabama can certainly be proud of. It's The state of Alabama has never seen anything like this before, and it's something that we're very, very excited about moving forward, and hopefully we can get you guys to, uh, you know, mosey on down from Nashville and uh, come uh, visit it once it's all said and done and finished. We would love to. <laughs> and uh, I think most importantly, at least, uh, what what kicked up in my mind was hopefully you have some of the uh, you know elder family members that may or may not have been fortunate enough to spend a little more time there and, and get some of those original batches. Uh, hopefully there's some some white dog that very closely mimics well, what the original product was, and I think that would just be amazing in the uh, tasting room. Yeah, you know I'm gonna a lot of these uh, a lot of this especially the sons of Clyde Bay. You know you you take them in there and you're probably gonna have to hold them back because they're going to want to they're going to be tempted to start making again uh, (laughs) um i believe that you know the family is very excited i think that's not to say that they wouldn't be excited about anywhere it was built in alabama but the fact that it's going to be so close to home i think that means the most because and it's not just about the whiskey i mean obviously it's about their father grandfather uncle whatever the case may be it's obviously about that and the whiskey but even in addition to that, you know, we're going to be providing, you know, several jobs to local families and helping those local families. You know, we're going to change the lives of several families by providing jobs here at this new distillery and helping others and giving back to the community. And it's the community that Clyde May himself was giving back to. So I think they're happy to see that. And I'm certainly happy to see it. I'm That was a great tie-in back to uh, the original story. And it's great to see you guys come full circle. One question I would have, and you may or may not know the answer to this, but you know, as we talked about the four different offerings, all having the same mash bill, but different years and different styles in there, is that the plan with this new distillery? To answer your question, yeah, the products will stay around. Now, what I, what I can say is, as you just said in the age statements, that's something that people need to know is that whiskey and bourbon is not something where we build the distillery and that we're able to provide a bottle that was made aged and bottled in alabama the next week even once we build you know it'll be minimum four years before before something was made aged and bottled in alabama however one thing that we are able to do is we're going to be bringing down the barrels that we currently have aging so a lot of our product will finish aging in alabama and things like that and it'll be certainly bottled at the new plant but what we're going to do is we have what we have and that's going to continue with this new distillery and then with the addition of like i said we have some new things on the horizon and that's going to be added to it and you know we're just going to keep growing and 
with this distillery being built, I think it's being built at a perfect time because we're able to probably forecast and see that we're doing well. And that's not to say that that means the work is over, that work's just getting started here for, you know, our team. And we're excited about that. And we're going to keep grinding every day to make this, uh, product grow and this new distillery certainly is going to be one of the things that helps it grow so one one thing i I do have meant to circle back on earlier i apologize but so per the label it says finished with baked apple slices it are literally just baked apple slices tossed in a barrel is is there some kind of like a a stave format or something else or, or how does that work? If you, if it's, you, it's, you know, it's, it's like the bottle says. It's like I was saying, that, you know, earlier in the in the interview when I was talking about when my grandfather did it, it was oven dried apple slices added to the barrel at the end, very end of the aging process. And the difference being because he didn't have the luxury of aging it as long as we do. When I say the end of the aging process for him, he probably kept his in for four or five days or a week but you know (laughs) we literally it's just a touch we add very shortly before it's uh bottled and then you know moves on from there so it's not you know that's something that confuses people too is they think that we take those you know we take oven dried apple slices and we put it in the barrel and it sits in that barrel for four to five years or six to seven years or nine years or whatever it's it's you know, it ages just like any, you know, bourbon. And then right there at the very, very end of the aging process, it's uh, that added in there. And then it's bottled and it goes from there. And that's when it becomes Alabama-style whiskey. But it is just, you know, literally apples going into the barrel. No no, no flavoring, no, I guess, artificial whatever, anything. It's just literally some nice southern baked apples added into the juice. Oh, you're right. Yeah, it's just, you know, like I said, it's just, you know, added it there at the uh, very end. And that's the Alabama-style essence that we, like I said earlier, my grandfather didn't make it, and he didn't coin the phrase Alabama-style. But uh, uh, we we did that just from the recipe. But uh, that's what we do, and that's, you know, certainly what makes us unique. And like we've talked about the whole show, it's something that, people normally get excited about and they taste it and they love it something that I'm, I'm proud to say that my grandfather started and hopefully more people as we grow will learn all about it Elsie it sounds like there's a lot of good stuff coming from Clyde Mays we are definitely looking forward to seeing what happens with the distillery and we're definitely looking forward to being able to report when you guys break ground on that for now, where can the people find out more about Clyde May Whiskey, uh, you know, the brand that you guys have? Where, where can they find Clyde Mays? Yes, they can go to our website at ClydeMays.com. And there, if they're looking specifically for a bottle, we have a store locator. or uh, Not just store, but it also shows local bars, restaurants, things of that nature. And you can type in your zip code and... It'll show you the closest account where you can either buy a bottle or go to your local restaurant to uh, give it a taste there. And that's certainly something that we're constantly updating because we're constantly getting added into new accounts. But if they just want to learn more about the story, they can also go to ClydeMaze.com. And we have a great timeline that kind of breaks down the history of my grandfather and the brand. And then there's great recipes on there that you can make at home that gives a step-by-step breakdown along with other things but also feel free to check us out on our social media pages uh at clyde mays whiskey on facebook and then uh at clyde mays on our on instagram and twitter and we're constantly you know telling little tidbits and stories but also sharing cocktail recipes and places they can find it and events we're taking part of that they are uh may fall near where you live so Check us out, obviously, on all our social media pages, and certainly check us out on our website at ClydeMills.com. Zeke was going through this. I think Zeke has his favorite recipe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I, I laughably want to know off, off the website because I didn't check this earlier. Wh- which one of those recipes is your favorite? I mean, this, is, you know, this is semi-loaded, I'll warn you. 
Yeah, yeah, it's 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 loaded. Uh, but uh, <laughs> honestly, that was something I was going to mention earlier because one of the number one questions I get, besides stuff about my grandfather, of course, is, you know, what's the best cocktail that this makes? And you know, I, I guess I might should be a little bit embarrassed to say that I'm not a professional mixologist. So, oh, you're you know, missing he, the loaded question that Zeke has. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. Uh, well, what I was gonna, what what I was alluding to is one of my favorite recipes on there, and a part of the reason it's my favorite is due to the simplicity of it. That's where I was kind of alluding to. Oh, the, he's uh, got it. Never mind. <laughs> So the uh, hot apple cider, uh, which is uh, just a nice uh, apple cider with that hint of 85-proof original Clyde Bays and then a dash of cinnamon. I believe it also calls for the simplicity of that one, and I think there's probably one on there that's just poured in the glass. Is that one on there? Yeah, that, that's <laughs> where we were. Damn yeah. right, man. Like I, I laughed oh, so I mean, hard to myself when I saw that. I was like, John, did you check this? He's like, what? And I was like, Literally, if you, you go look at the recipes, the first one that shows up left to right, it just says, neat. You click on it, take neat. cash strength, pour it in your favorite glass. Enjoy. I was like, oh, this is the best recipe ever. You can't mess it up, and I'm happy. <laughs> uh, I, I believe, I believe, and uh, I really, as I was explaining the simplicity of the one, I thought about that. I was like, oh, he's talking about uh, I thought about it midway through my sentence, but it let that be uh, you know kind of our subtle way of saying that's a nine year old 117 proof cast strength it's kind of a delicacy so you know that's probably not something you should mix in with a ginger ale or something you know try it neat or try it on the rocks I think that was our way of saying no man I totally love it I totally love it and it's like one of those things for, uh, for us rural southerners Somebody shows up and you know they they have the bottle and they say, "What are you gonna mix it with?" You just look at them and say, "You must not be around here, boy." <laughs> well, Zeke, you and I will keep enjoying the neat <laughs> recipe, which is how we we like it the best. Elsie May, thank you very very much for joining us. We will uh, hopefully check in with you again sometime later this year, if you don't mind. Once you guys start breaking ground on that, because we'd love to hear how it's going. Well, Elsie, thank you very, very much for staying up late with us. We know that we've kept you on the phone here for a while. Thank you very much. Go find ClydeMaze.com. Find them on Instagram. Find them on Twitter. Find them on Facebook. You can also find us, Dad's Drinking Bourbon. You can find us on Twitter at Bourbon Dads. You can find us on Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. You can also find our podcast on Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, on Podknife, on YouTube. We're everywhere. Go ahead and find us out. Please give us a five-star rating. Tell us you like us. Tell us why you like us. If you don't like us, we'd rather you told us personally. Zeke, where else can they find us? Nashville, Tennessee. All right. Cheers. We will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.